Hello and welcome to the Archbishop's Corner. This is where we meet each week to talk with Hartford Archbishop Leonard Blair about faith, morals, the life of the church today, and how the gospel makes sense in an ever-changing world. This is where we go to find the answers to our lingering questions about the teachings of the church, living the faith life of a Catholic in contemporary society, and developing a stronger relationship with God. I'm Father John Gatzak, with many questions that you and I will ask Archbishop Blair as he responds to what matters to you in the Archbishop's Corner. When you are attached to the way things are, it's very difficult to put your faith in anything else. You do not trust yourself to risk experiencing anything other than what you already know. You do not trust life to bring you the results or rewards you desire. You do not trust that you can and will handle whatever comes your way. Without trust, there can be no faith. Without faith, you will hold on to what you know. In the process, you will not be making any progress. Attachment is another way of saying, I don't have faith in anything else. I know what this is. I can handle this. You want to control your experiences and your responses. You see, rather than fight with you for control, life will send you into the pit of stagnation. This can be extremely painful. Attachment reflects a lack of faith in your ability to learn. Learning takes place three ways. You learn by force. You learn by choice. You learn by being forced to make a choice. When you are attached to what you know or what you can control, chances are you will be forced to make a choice. You can choose to stay attached and be stagnated in pain and confusion, or you can let go in faith that your next experience will be exactly what you need, but did not know you needed. Until today, you may have been holding on, attached to the way things are. In the Archbishop's Corner is where Archbishop Leonard Blair helps you to open your heart to the possibilities that there is something great waiting for you. Here is where you can be comfortable to let go of anything or anyone you are attached to, freeing you in faith so that you will be pleasantly surprised. So thank you, Archbishop Blair, for helping us stretch faith beyond what we know to a greater and grander experience of becoming faith-filled and fear-free. How are you? Well, with that introduction, I'm even better. Thank you. Faith-filled and fear-free. I like that. That I think, really is true. And, 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 and truly, that's something that we need today during these days of pandemic and uh, the tropical storm and people still without power. We need to place our faith in the Lord, and he's the one that can help us become fear-free, I guess. You know, life is filled with many challenges and crosses and even tragedies uh, so that we have to be firm in our faith and meet all the challenges of life with faith and a certain patience and to also realize that whatever befalls us, inevitably, someone else has got it much worse, you know. So we should count our blessings and try to be patient and um, with one another and with the situation and, and hope for the best. But it's easy to say. It's not always so easy to do. But uh, that's where we need the grace of God to do it. And I think the longer this coronavirus pandemic goes on and, and people find themselves alienated from family and friends, quarantined in their homes, wearing face masks and staying physically distant from one another. I think that that's taking a toll on our our psyche, don't you? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I mean, uh, it's adversity that tests people individually and even as a community, as a nation. So we have to be very vigilant about this, about ourselves and about our country, that we, you know, not allow this to 
get to us in such a way that it somehow can uh, lead to even greater problems. So we just have to hang in there and ask for God's blessing and help and, and do everything we can to help one another and to, to be patient. But I think particularly of people whose livelihoods are threatened, you know, yeah. uh, when it comes to uh, having money to put food on the table and to pay the bills, this is where we have to be particularly uh, sensitive. And I hope that our national leaders will have the, the wisdom and the sense to do whatever they can reasonably do, responsibly do, to help people through the situation. Well, talking about the authority of God in our lives, we see that, that tonight, if you have a clear view of the night sky, you should be able to see one of the most be, beloved meteor showers of the year, the Perseid meteor shower. Although the greatest number of meteors will appear between the hours of midnight and dawn this Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, whenever you take a look up at the sky these next few days, you're sure to see at least 40 or 50 meteors per hour. Archbishop, this is just another example of the vast universe reflecting the awesome power of God. Any thoughts about that, God's power in our lives? Well, certainly, you know, the creator of all. I have to tell you, though, on a more mundane level, that I, I never wind up seeing anything. I sometimes <laughs> look for these things that they talk about in the papers. Part of it, of course, is if you live as we do in a heavily populated area with a lot of lights, you can't see much. If you're in the uh, forests of uh, of the north, uh, northern, for example, where I come from in Michigan, then you can see these things. Not to mention the fact that sometimes you have to be up in the middle of the night to see them, and I, right. I'm not quite that motivated, so I, I, I don't. But to those who have eyes to see and who are in a position to see, yes, these are very interesting things. I remember once I was flying uh, to Europe, to Rome, and uh, I was on the side of the airplane that, that was uh, facing the north, and, you know, of course, you cross through the night, and the northern lights were flashing in the distance. So I was fascinated looking out that window to see all these things happening up there. And that's a beautiful thing. I like yeah. that kind of stuff. I think it's very moving and very uh, fascinating. So I, I'll try to see if, if there's some... Uh, way that I can uh, benefit from what you've described. My problem is I don't have the patience to just stand there and look and watch and watch and look. I want to look and immediately have the meteors appear in front of me. You know, like we sit in front of the television set, you turn it on, and the picture immediately appears there. That's the same kind of reaction that I'd like to see with a meteor shower. I guess you're hopelessly modern. <laughs> in any case, let's move on, because Tuesday, August 11th, we're going to be celebrating the Feast of St. Clair of Assisi, the patron saint of television. You want to say something about St. Clair? Well, only that uh, the name has given, uh, her name has been given to many things. And uh, certainly it's good to have a patron saint uh, for various things uh, that we can kind of um, look for a little heavenly inspiration and help in what we do, a uh, model of heroic virtue, sanctity. Let me turn this around and ask you, what does St. Clair mean to you as somebody involved in television and radio? St. Clair is the patron saint of television. She's also the patron saint of the television mass. And obviously we provide the television mass every single day from the Archdiocesan Office of Radio and Television. And, and I pray to her every day because uh, working with, with technical equipment is, is so tenuous, you, you never know when something is going to happen, Murphy's Law seems always to be in effect. So if something can go wrong, it will go wrong. And we've experienced this past week a few things that did go wrong, especially since we had the power outage. And so I, I have particular devotion to St. Clair, asking her to give us the strength and the means 
to bring people to Television Mass every single day and to allow it to be an important part of their day, especially for those who are unable to get out to church, and so many are unable to go to church, even fearful of going to church because of, of the pandemic environment in which we currently live. So a lot of, of what we do here at the Office of Radio and Television is entrusted to the care of, of St. Clair of Assisi. Well, see, you've answered your question much better than I could answer I don't, it. I don't think much better, but... It's part of your experience and your work. Talking about uh, experience and work, something that I'd like to ask you about is the fact that Saturday of this coming week, the Church celebrates the Feast of the Assumption of the Virgin Mary. Can you tell us a little bit about this and how it came about to, to be declared that, that we know this uh, about the Virgin Mary? Well, first of all, we know that uh, with regard to the great mystery of salvation— uh, that obviously we don't worship Mary. Mary is uh, not God, but one like us in all things but sin. But Mary is pivotal and has especially chosen by God to be the unnecessary part uh, of, of the uh, incarnation of God in the person of, of, of Jesus Christ, and that she continues to play uh, a, a particular role in interceding for us, uh, she's the mother of the church, mother of believers, help of Christians. So it's very interesting. You know, we say in the creed, we believe in the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. We're not talking about some phantom. We're talking about our actual body, just as mm -hmm. uh, Christ rose in the body and not just in some symbolic way or just a spiritual way. And uh, the point being that just as Christ's uh, body uh, is risen uh, as a man. Uh, also in heaven, uh, Mary, uh, through her assumption into heaven, uh, is, has been bodily uh, transfigured, transformed, risen in heaven. So in heaven, uh, in eternity, both male and female body exist as an anticipation of our own resurrection of both men and women uh, in eternal life. So this is a very important thing, you know, that I know today there's so much uh, these various movements and spiritual kinds of theories and, you know, people believe in things like reincarnation and all kinds of strange things. But it's very important, I think, for our listeners, for our Catholics uh, to, uh, and I, I would encourage this for the Feast of the Assumption, go online or if you have a copy of the Catechism of the Catholic Church, and read those sections about the resurrection of the body and the assumption of Mary to get a real solid spiritual and sound perspective on the relationship of body and soul and what we mean when we say that we believe in the resurrection of the body. Because yeah. there's so much misunderstanding about this and so many strange uh, theories that people have or beliefs about this that are really not our Catholic faith. Archbishop, let me ask you, uh, this is something recent that was announced Good news from our neighboring diocese of Providence, Rhode Island. Bishop Thomas Tobin has announced that his diocese is welcoming eight new seminarians this year, the highest incoming number in nearly four decades. Father Brian Morris, who is the vocations director for Our Lady of Providence Seminary in the diocese, attributed the increase to the community's dedicated efforts, saying the seminary has held adoration every Thursday for an increase in vocations, and parishes have hosted similar efforts. Wouldn't it be nice to have the same kind of results happen in the Archdiocese of Hartford? Well, absolutely, you know. Uh, and I must say, this is a constant prayer of mine and a constant thing that I ask people to do. 
I'm pleased to say that we've just welcomed three new seminarians. Mm. Uh, of course, you know, the path, uh, depending where they start, in college or in theology, they have ways to go. Uh, and, of course, we send our college seminarians to the Diocese of Providence, to the Our Lady of Providence uh, Seminary uh, that's on the campus of Providence College, run by the Dominican Order. And they take their uh, college education uh, there as part of that uh, institution, but they have their own uh, seminary community, seminary house, and they get those the things that are particular to them as seminarians there. So I'm very pleased that with with us having some of our college uh, seminarians uh, in Providence, and um, you know we continue. Father Michael Casey is our vocations promoter for the archdiocese, and I know it's a little harder now under the with with uh, the, the pandemic and parishes being uh, uh, so restricted in what they can do. But let's hope for the 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 and pray for a great improvement in this. You know, I have to tell you that when we had the ordination to the priesthood uh, live-streamed, mm-hmm. Father Matt Gorick uh, here in the office told me that uh, over 11,000 views were made online of that. And I'm thinking to myself, well, maybe this is the silver lining in this great dark cloud of the pandemic. You know, now, it's true that 11,000, some people might just have very quickly looked at it. I don't know how many of those 11,000 followed it from beginning to end. But isn't that a wonderful thing? That That's probably never, if the ordination had taken place under regular circumstances, it would never have had that much, much exposure, I don't think, uh, to people. Now, maybe you, you know more about these things. Maybe you can correct me that if it was broadcast, uh, even without the pandemic, a similar thing would have happened. But I guess the bottom line for me is that I think that there, it's wonderful that there would be that much interest to look at it. And uh, we just have to uh, help our young people uh, discern their vocation, Christian vocation. This is so difficult today. And it's not just about the priesthood or religious life. It's even about marriage. I mean, the sacrament of marriage is just as much, uh, uh, how should we say, trouble or crisis as as priesthood and religious life. So uh, getting back to Providence, I'm very happy for them that they have uh, eight new seminarians and I'm very happy we have three, and we just have to keep plugging away for the sheep that there be enough good shepherds. You mentioned the 11,000 views on the internet streaming the ordination. Wouldn't it be nice if out of those 11,000, some were so touched or so inspired, and, and, and God moved hearts through that, that vocations came from viewing that ordination ceremony? Well, that's much to be hoped, you know, that's much to be hoped. And I will say, you know, this year, I thank God for what we have, but I only ordained one priest, new priest this year for the Archdiocese of Hartford. And I'm, he's a fine uh, young man and, and will be a very good priest. But I have to tell our listeners, you know, people talk about pastoral planning and about their parishes and how many parishes we have, how many masses we have. You have to do the math. Uh, this is very real and we can't uh, expect uh, that other somebody else is going to provide a priest for us if our own families and our own parishes do not do it then i don't know where this is how this is going to happen you know uh, sometimes people can be 
even nasty about the fact that changes in their parish. And I have to say, well, your parish is, you know, 100 years old, and you've never produced one priest from your parish. Or if you have, it hasn't been for 50 years. Mm -hmm. What do you expect me to do? So to be blunt about it, if we don't have priests from our, from our Catholic people, then the chips have to fall where they, where they do. We, we obviously keep asking God and, and um, encouraging people. And again, I, I'm repeating myself, but I don't, some people want to pin this on celibacy or they want to pin it on, I, I don't know, that somehow there's something at fault with the priesthood no. uh, or, you know, all the scandalous things that some priests have done. But the reality is that every Christian state of life is in, a, in some crisis today, including marriage. And, and look at our society today, though. Look at our society today. There's so much that's going on. There's so many things that, that grab your attention away from sitting down and thinking about life in general, where you're going, what you really want to do, what kind of a contribution you want to make to life and to society. These are serious questions. The distractions of life are somehow pulling us away from serious thought about these questions. I think that's part of it. And, and it would be simplistic for me to say that that's all of it. But I, I think that the, the technology, these modern conveniences, these various, various things that are in society, the noise that takes us away from serious thought about where we want to go with our lives, what we want to do, I think that that has an effect. Well, I think people are afraid of making a mistake. You know, with very easy, no-fault divorce, young people see how they can easily be abandoned by a spouse. Yeah. Uh, and so they become fearful of uh, marriage. You know, all people, so many people living together without benefit of marriage because I think they're afraid uh, to uh, some, you know, I don't ascribe it just to being selfish or having uh, abandoned uh, uh, Christian morality. I'm sure in some cases that's true, but I think there's also a fear of uh, if you enter into marriage and then it all falls apart. So the, the same thing is true, I think, of any serious uh, uh, vocation right now. And, uh, well, as you said, th th those are the circumstances, and we just have to work and pray to overcome them. And time is moving us quickly forward, so let's take a look at our gospel for today. This is on the 19th Sunday in Ordinary Time, and our gospel is taken from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 14. After we listen to a dramatic presentation of the gospel, then we'll talk with you, Archbishop, and ask for your thoughts on the gospel. Then he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowds. After he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was many furlongs distant from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. It is a ghost! And they cried out for fear. But immediately he spoke to them. Take heart, it is I. Have no fear. And Peter answered him. Lord, if it is you, bid me come to you on the water. Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me! Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him. Oh, man of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind 
ceased. Those in the boat worshipped him. Truly, you are the Son of God. Archbishop, this has got to be an all-time favorite gospel story, packed with so much. Unravel its meaning for us and apply it to life as we know it today. Well, well, that's a tall order. I hope I can offer some comments that will be helpful. But no, it's true. You know, walking on the water, first of all, the divinity of Christ that uh, that St. John in the prologue of his gospel says it is through the word that all things were made and the word became flesh. In other words, Christ is the eternal word. Mm. And so uh, Jesus is a uh, Lord of creation. Uh, and so walking on the water uh, is... Uh, you know, something that uh, expresses in a very dramatic way uh, this reality. But on the other hand, you have poor St. Peter, who is so human, you know. He, uh, he, he, he wants to go out there. Uh, Jesus says, don't be afraid. Have faith. Come. And so Peter starts walking on the water. But then what happens? Uh, he becomes frightened. And then he begins to sink and says, Lord, save me. Wow, isn't that a parable about the whole of life? You know, that you, faith makes all things possible. Uh, but when we get afraid, we start to sink. And what we, do we do? We shout out, Lord, save me, help me. And, uh, and, that, and of course, Jesus does. Jesus stretched out his hand and caught Peter and said, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? I mean, that speaks to all of us. I think it really yeah, does. Yeah. I, at every, especially in the difficult moments of life when the wind and the sea of life are blowing very hard, we have to look to Jesus and we have to, you know, uh, he, his hand can save us and raise us up. But he still says to us, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? So we have to say, Lord, increase my faith. I think it has a lot to do with where we are today. Um, for instance, I, I think of all the fear that surrounds this coronavirus pandemic that we're going through and how many of us are praying diligently every single day, morning, noon and night. Lord, save us from this. Save me from uh, losing my job or, or help me find a new job or uh, help me continue to feed and care for my family. There's so many different things that, that are touching our lives, challenging our lives today. And, and, and I think the best that we can do oftentimes is just to go to the Lord and say, Lord, save me and not give up and not, and not doubt our faith and not doubt the fact that the Lord is there and concerned about what we're going through today. Well, absolutely. I think we just, for a person, if, you know, to those who love God, Scripture says all things work together unto good. And sometimes that can be very hard to accept, especially in tragic and very difficult circumstances. But, um, you know, we have to we have to have that faith. You know, this week we, uh, the Supreme Convention of the Knights of Columbus on, on, online, and I celebrated the opening mass for their convention right. that was broadcast from St. Mary's. And, you know, I think of Father McGivney's life, that he was studying for the priesthood, and then his father died, and he had to leave uh, to take care of the family. You know, it seemed like everything might have been lost. And, it, and yet, in his life, he, God was taking good care of him, uh, even in the midst of all of these challenges and difficulties. I, that's true of all of us. Will you bring up the convention of the Knights of Columbus, Carl Anderson, who is the Supreme Knight of the Knights of Columbus, made an online presentation from New Haven last week for the group's virtual convention, as you mentioned. And he took on some of the issues making news in the cultural upheaval that's challenging long-accepted norms in our country. For one, the violence and the destruction that is toppling statues and desecrating churches. 
The answer for our countries is not a cancel culture that destroys. The answer is fraternal communities that work to build a new fraternal culture. Today, a true patriot will work for unity and fraternity, and he will do so with charity in his heart. While we so often think about our principles of charity, unity, and fraternity as something to be lived within the Catholic community, they are needed just as much in civil society. In fact, today, they are probably needed more. And so charity, unity, fraternity, living those principles in our civil society today is a high expression of patriotism. Supreme Knight Carl Anderson also challenged members to take Catholic teachings and the values of the Knights of Columbus out into the secular world to improve it. This attack on our heritage has also taken an alarming anti-Catholic turn. Catholic churches and statues of our saints have been desecrated, especially statues of St. Junipero Serra. This heroic and saintly missionary is becoming the victim of a false history. He did not come to California at the head of an army. He walked from Mexico City up the coast of California, founding missions that later became great cities. He returned to Mexico City to demand a declaration of rights to protect the native tribes, and he returned with it. At his death, the Native Americans who gathered around him referred to Junipero Serra as El Santo, the saint. Archbishop, your reaction? Yes, well, I'm very happy that you uh, are playing those uh, uh, excerpts from uh, Mr. Anderson's talk to the Knights. Uh, I have to say, quite honestly, that he and I were, we didn't plan this together, but we, we expressed the same sentiments. And by that, I mean that in uh, my homily for the opening uh, mass for the uh, Supreme Convention, it was the feast of uh, St. John Vianney, right. yeah. patron of parish priests. And I, I talked about, you know, the service of the priest uh, and, and spoke then about Father McGivney as also being a parish priest. But I did say this, that, you know, we might think of, of uh, St. John Vianney uh, of Catholic France. You know, we think of the cathedrals of Notre Dame or Chartres, or we think of Lourdes or of uh, some of the other great Marian shrines in France. I said, but the reality is that Jean Vianney ministered when the French Revolution was still very raw in France. Uh, you know, when the church had been really toppled, when we imagine that a woman dressed as the goddess of reason was enthroned on the altar of Notre Dame Cathedral sacrilegiously. And I said, you know, the, the watchwords of the French Revolution were liberté, égalité, fraternité, uh, you know, freedom, equality, and fraternity. I said, these are gospel values that were turned up on their head upside down by the French Revolution. And I said, the same thing is true today that uh, people are questioning uh, things in the name of uh, these uh, uh, values. But we have to discern very carefully, very carefully indeed, the true meaning of uh, freedom, equality, and fraternity. Certainly, uh, Father Michael McGivney, Venerable Father Michael McGivney, soon to be blessed Michael McGivney, chose these values uh, uh, to instill in Catholic men through the Knights of Columbus. And we have to ask ourselves how we can uh, uh, reflect them in an authentic uh, way, a, a Catholic way, a Christian way in today's society. And it's very disturbing, as Mr. Anderson said, about people who are espousing an ideology that uh, really uh, is a betrayal, in my opinion, uh, and it's based on falsehoods about some of these fundamental uh, values and truths. 
Archbishop, we've come to the end of our time together. Unfortunately, we're not able to get to any of the questions submitted by our listeners, but we'll do that next week for sure. Can you close the program then with a prayer and a blessing? Lord God, in these days, we face many challenges as a nation uh, and individually and indeed in our whole world. We pray not only for the well-being of the health of our bodies in the midst of a pandemic, but we also pray for the well-being and health of our souls, of our minds and hearts, uh, that in the midst of turmoil and much questioning, uh, we may always strive to live according to the truths that come from you, the truths of our very being, the truths of love and justice that flow from your own being as our God. And we pray for your blessing on us, on our country and our world now and always. And may Almighty God bless you all in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Mary assumed into heaven, pray Pray for for us. Archbishop, thank you for uh, inviting us into the Archbishop's Corner. We look forward to joining you next Sunday, and I promise we will get to questions from our listeners. Until then, enjoy this week, and stay safe and healthy. You too. Thank you. 